Okay, this is our lowest attendance ever. I think uh, between the retreat, we've got about 350 kids uh, across the river. Uh, I got to go over there yesterday and do some teaching. It was a lot of fun. Uh, first time I've been to a church event and the crowd has done the wave. Uh, it was really pretty cool. Um, but we had a lot of fun and they're going to be back with us next week. We also, with the temps, have a lot of our elderly folks out. Uh, that they're, it's just hard to move uh, outside and then, and then the sickness. So we've got like this perfect storm to keep a bunch of people out of this assembly today. Um, so if you're visiting, this is not typical, just so you know. We usually, this is about a quarter of us of what's normally here. Uh, but we're going to have a great day. We are uh, starting a new series in a couple of weeks here that's going to be based around our theme. Today, I'm doing part two uh, of what's capping off our series on Acts. We spent all last year going through the book of Acts, looking at the book of Acts, seeing what the application was for us as a small church that is planting churches along with some friends and other places. Uh, we really want our churches to be healthy that we're starting. We want, us, uh, we want to make disciples the way they were making disciples in the Bible. We want to teach the things that the apostles were teaching and that Jesus was teaching. We want to emulate them as best we can in our culture. Amen? Because the best gift we can give somebody else is a relationship with God. God is the source of life. He's the source of light. He's the source of everything good. And when we get away from him, when we start teetering on the edge of darkness, you know, things can go bad in life for us, for our families, for our friends. We can either be a source of, of, of light and life, or we can be a source of darkness and curse. It really depends on how close we are to God. And so we look in the Bible as God's word because we want to see how we can emulate these things we see and, and obey these things we see so that we can draw near to him because that's how we're going to have the best life possible. So I'm going to pray. You've got some notes in your bulletin that will have most of the scriptures we're going to look at on there. And we're just going to walk through some lessons out of the book of Acts to kind of cap this off today, okay? So let me pray for us and then we're going to jump into it. Uh, God, as we open your word, I just want to pray that my heart be soft and that, uh, that, that all of our hearts be soft, God, when we, when we look at what you have to say and what you think and how you've operated. God, as we look at these examples of faithful disciples in the past, I pray we'll understand you put those in your word so that we would learn from them, so that there's things in there we can apply. If there's things we need to change, we'll make those changes, God. Uh, God, if, there, if, if there's something in our community that's unhealthy, we'll be able to address that because of, of what we see in your word. And so I just pray for soft hearts. I pray for open minds, God, as we open your scriptures. And it's in your, mind, uh, in, in your name I pray. Amen. All right, so this first one's not on your notes, okay? But uh, Acts 2 is the culmination of so much in the story of the Bible. If you study the story of the Bible... Uh, it starts out with creation, and you go through to Abraham. God promises he's going to raise him up to be a mighty nation that's going to bless the whole world. Ultimately, that culminates in Jesus coming into the world. And the whole world is blessed because God chose to bring the Savior, the King, through the Jewish people. Now, whenever you get to Acts 2, this is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has as resurrected, Jesus has given them the instructions to go wait in Jerusalem. He's going to send the Holy Spirit on them. And then things are going to start happening from there. And this is where we see the birth of the church. Last time we talked about this, we talked about the concept of conversion and how God 
instills in us as part of our identity a line in the sand. Baptism is meant to be that line in the sand for us, a physical act where we say that's where we change. That's the thing where we look and we say, we're not the same old person anymore. Our old self died and now we're gonna live with Jesus. And this is a universal principle. In uh, Acts 2 verse 37, after Peter shared the gospel with this group of people that had killed Jesus, this was the crowd that was shouting, crucify him. Uh, it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. This is not on your notes, but we'll put it on the screen. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is a universal principle that is presented in Acts. If you want to become a Christian, you need to give your life to Christ in baptism and follow Jesus. That's the principle that's laid out here. He does not say, this is just for this group of people. At this time, he says, this, what I'm saying right now is for everybody. This is universal. And if you follow the book of Acts, that's what you see playing out. Now, there's a couple of places where things operate differently in the book of Acts that's tied to specific movements of God into new groups of people. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, as laid out in Acts 1.8. We'll talk about that a little bit later. We see God doing something special in those instances because there's a special movement of God. Often, when he moves into new places, he will do something to establish credibility, like God is behind this, right? I'm gonna do something different that's gonna make you uncomfortable, but I'm behind this, so I'm gonna perform a miracle, or we're gonna send the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, or whatever it might be. There's, there's things that happen. Now, all of this, guys, that we see play out in the book of Acts is a fulfillment of the story of the Bible. This is something we haven't hit a whole lot of this series. We've talked about it some, about how the king was coming. But guys, there are hundreds of prophecies from the Old Testament that are fulfilled in what we see in the New Testament in the church and in the ministry of Jesus. Isaiah lays this out. This is on your notes in Isaiah 2. This is 600 years before Jesus was born, okay? 600 B.C., this is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, this is a prophet of God who has a vision. And here's what he says. He says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. Now, anytime in the Bible, you see mountain of the Lord, you see Zion, and you see Jerusalem, that is the same thing, okay? Same thing, mountain of the Lord, Zion, Jerusalem, all the same thing. So he's saying here, the mountain of the Lord's temple, Jerusalem, will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Now let me ask you, when you think of holy lands, what do you think of? Jerusalem. Like, still, okay, when you think of, where are, where's, where's, the, where's the wailing wall that people like to go pray at? It's in Jerusalem, it's the old, old temple wall. To this day, guys, people will make trips to Jerusalem that are spiritually significant, right? 
Matter of fact, uh, there are people with mental illness. We have friends in Jerusalem. There are people with mental illness uh, sometimes that do this, and it's called Jerusalem syndrome <laughs> because they will read the Bible and think there's somebody in the Bible, and then they will go wander in the wilderness, and the Israeli military will have to go find them. So often, the, the people in Jerusalem have uh, not a great view of Christians because that's their understanding. Most of the 98% are still, are still Jewish in Jerusalem. And their experience with Christians a lot of times is with people who are disturbed. Um, but there, there are tons of people that go there uh, that, that do not get Jerusalem syndrome, and I'm hopefully one of them, okay? Um, it is a place of spiritual significance. How would you like to go walk where Jesus walked? How would you like to go pray where Jesus prayed, right? Yes, yes. Like a lot of us have done that. And people continue to do that. People, when they think Holy Land, think Jerusalem. It will be exalted above the hills. All nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem, okay? The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, most people understand law here is not referring to Mosaic law. Um, this is just talking about the word of God, is how most commentators would, would say this. Does that happen in the New Testament? Yes, it does. We see that whenever the church starts in Jerusalem, where does the church go out from? Where does this disciple-making movement start? It starts in Jerusalem. We see that in Acts 2. With this 3,000 that come to Christ, we see 3,000 people. And guys, Jesus also said this was going to happen in Luke. Um, after his resurrection, he comes and, and meets with the disciples. And it says in Luke 24, 47, then... He, Jesus, opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. What scriptures did they have? They just had the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written at this point. They're part of it. Whenever it says Jesus opened their mind to the scriptures, he opened their mind to what the prophecies meant from the Old Testament. Like this in Isaiah. This is probably one of the ones he pointed to because he loved Isaiah. He quoted Isaiah more than anything else in his teaching uh, from the Old Testament. And so this is one of those things that he points to, but there's a ton of them, guys. This is fulfillment of the story of the Bible. Have you ever wondered if the Bible could be trusted? I wondered that. You know, that was one of the things that kept me from faith for a long time was this old book. You want me to take this old book and listen to it like, like, I, like it's anything special? But then when you get in and you start looking at all this stuff, and all the stuff it says that are sometimes very specific uh, prophecies, like very specific, and then you go look at world history, and you look at the history of the church, and you look at what happened. Guys, there are so many things that are just like, wow, this is one of those things. Like 600 years before any of this stuff happened, this is being said, right? Right? Jesus opens their mind to the scriptures and they're able to see the Messiah, Jesus, the king, the king that was prophesied to come. They're able to see the fulfillment of it in Jesus. Now, guys, anybody in their day could have come and proclaimed authority from God. And many people did. There were many, 
messiahs. Guys, even after Jesus, there were messiahs, people that came proclaiming to be the messiah, and they led the people to war. It's documented history. Uh, Jesus came proclaiming to be the messiah. Anybody can do that. But he also demonstrated that he was the messiah. Anybody can proclaim authority from God, but it takes somebody from God to demonstrate authority from God. And Jesus demonstrated it when he came back from the dead. You know his brothers didn't believe in him? He had younger brothers, James and Jude, okay? They did not believe in him. They were a couple of the boys when Jesus was going out and teaching. They were coming and saying, man, he's crazy. Let's just get him back in the house, right? Let's go hide him away because he's embarrassing the family. But then later, those two boys, after the resurrection, became disciples, and they wrote books of the Bible, James and Jude, and they both died as martyrs. And it would, they, their lives would have been saved if they would have just said, yeah, I was just kidding, my brother's not really God. But they didn't do that. They went to their deaths saying, no, my brother's God. My brother's God. It's one thing to proclaim authority, but guys, when you come back from the dead, people tend to listen to you and all the teaching, right? And so he opens their mind to the scriptures. He told them, here's a prophecy now. This hadn't happened yet. He's saying, here's what's still gonna happen, boys. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah, the King, the anointed one will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at where? Beginning at Jerusalem. This was always part of the plan. This was always part of the plan. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Those are the instructions from Jesus. Now, you get to Acts, you see all this unfold. Just like Jesus said. And so we, as the church, inherit this ministry. We get to be part of this story, folks. We get to be part of this. And the way you individually get to be part of it is you start with conversion, which means I'm going to die to my old way of life and I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to let him start living through me. Jesus, take the wheel, like that Carrie Underwood song, right? He's going to take over and start driving my life, and I, I get to ride along with Jesus. And, and that means my decisions, the way I make decisions, is going to change. That means my values are going to change. That means the way I think is going to change. That means the way I view authority is going to change. That means the way I view my employment is going to change. It means everything's going to change. Because I'm going to take off my old glasses, my old lenses, and I'm going to let Jesus give me new eyes. Just like when Paul was healed and those scales fell off his eyes. I was blind, but now I see. You see the world differently when Jesus gives you new vision. There's a conversion that takes place. If you come to Christ, like I study the Bible sometimes with people, and we'll ask them, when did you become a Christian? And they say, I don't know. That's the wrong answer. Because every time I look in Scripture, there is a conversion. There is a line in the sand where somebody made a, a conscious decision. This is where things are going to be different. I'm gonna, my will now is going to, I'm going to start trying to follow Jesus. 
Because it doesn't mean you save yourself, okay? We're not going to go down that rabbit hole. God's the one that saves you, but if you think you can say you're a Christian, but you don't really obey God, like there was never a, a decision that you made to really obey God, guys, that's not biblical. Every time we look at one of these letters, one of the things they call back to constantly is remember your conversion. Remember how you used to be, and now this. You know, some, one preacher I listened to says it's a was testimony. I was blind, but now I see. I was, you know, you got a was testimony. That's a conversion. Very important that we get that. We don't get that messed up, right? That's important. When you have that conversion experience, what happens after that? Well, you go from conversion immediately into community. This is the first point on your notes, guys. When I decide to follow Jesus, number one, I'm adopted into God's obedient family. When I decide to follow Jesus, I'm adopted into God's obedient family. In Acts 2, oh, thank you. <clears throat> uh, this is what happens right after this, guys, and we've looked at this a couple times. This is part of what I want to be the core identity of our church. That's why I point to this scripture a lot. I want everybody in this church, if you're a member of this church, to be familiar with this passage because this is what I want us to emulate. I want us to be disciples of Christ who are living out these Acts 2 principles. Uh, it says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. By the way, who were, whose, whose teaching was the apostles' teaching? They were just repeating what Jesus told them, okay? This is Jesus' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That's mutual sharing. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Every day, 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Guys, what we see in the first church is fellowship and family. Very tight-knit fellowship and family immediately, right? This is not a picture of uh, people that are really far down the road in their faith. This is a picture of people that had just been baptized. This is immediately what we see is they are devoted to these things, um, Breaking of bread into prayer, right? They were sitting around the table a lot together. They were sharing communion a lot together. I think they, they did share communion probably more than we do uh, at, at their meals, but they also were just eating together a lot. This is fellowship. Jews, guys, for the Jewish people, sitting around a table was a big deal. It was a big deal. If you sat around the table with somebody, it meant they were your family, which is why they didn't share their table with people that were sinners, quote unquote, because that made the whole thing unholy. That's why it was so crazy when Jesus came along and he was sharing his table with people that were struggling. Because like prostitutes and people that struggled with drinking and like all this stuff that were kind of shunned, Jesus would share his table and fellowship with them to build a relationship with them. Now he also would tell them things like go and sin no more. He didn't say just keep living that way, but he loved on those folks 
And he had influence with those folks, and those folks could be persuaded by him because he loved on them a little bit. He fellowshiped with them, right? That fellowship is so key. Guys, before I became a Christian, I was so lonely. I didn't become a Christian until I was in my 20s. I was so lonely, and I went to a church. With a, it was a big church. It had over 1,000 people there, and they had a young adult ministry. And you guys know I'm not, I'm not the shyest, right? Like, I'm an introvert, but I'm not, like, I'm not sh- super shy, uh, I worked in the radio business, and they paid me to go host parties. Like, okay, I can go in a room and meet people. I went to church looking for friends, and guess what I couldn't find? I could not find a single person that would spend time with me at that church. And that's not to say they weren't there, but guys, I went there actively looking. I just, I needed to get off drugs. I needed people to spend time with that, that weren't my friends that I was doing drugs with all the time. And I was re- reading my Bible on my own and I didn't know what to do. And I couldn't find anybody. Like I, act, like I asked for people's phone numbers and, and they wouldn't give them to me. So I, I just quit going. I just quit going. And it wasn't until um, I got around some people that, that viewed life a little differently, more like Jesus, honestly, where they took an active interest and they started like, reaching out to me, and that, those are the ones that, that opened me up. It was just people loving on me. That's all it was, people loving on me and paying a little attention to me. That's, I was so lonely. And guys, sometimes people can come into a church so lonely, and we don't mean to. We really don't mean to, but we can ignore people and not mean to. And, and that's probably all that happened to me, too. Like, I bet you there were good people out of those thousand people, you know, but in my mind as a lost person, what am I going to do when I feel unloved? I'm going to demonize all thousand of them, and I'm going to go tell my friends. We have to be, we have to look out and see, man. And that's one of the things Jesus was really, really good at, is just noticing people. He didn't ignore people when they came in. He noticed people. He got to know their name. He, he, he loved on them, and he made them feel at home. Like, there's so many cultural things, too. Like, you weren't allowed to, to, like, talk to women back then if you were a man. You weren't supposed to. It was culturally, you, you weren't supposed to. In fact, the Pharisees, the really holy guys, they wouldn't even look at women because they considered, uh, in their theology, women were the source of all sin because of their theology of Eve. True story, okay, that's what they thought. And so if they were walking around the marketplace and they saw a woman, they, there was a phrase called bloody-faced Pharisee in the first century because sometimes the Pharisees would cover their eyes <laughs> and they'd fall downstairs. <laughs> and all their friends would come get them and get them up and, oh, you're so holy, you're so holy, you're awesome. We'll wipe the blood off you, bloody-faced Pharisee. It just meant what a good man he was because he was willing to take one for the team. He wasn't going to look at a woman in lust, the source of evil, right? Guess who the Pharisees didn't invite over to their house? The women. The women, right? Remember that story when that woman is crying on Jesus' feet? And she's wiping the feet with, with, with her hair. And the Pharisee at the table gets offended. You know what he was offended by? Jesus was letting that dirty woman touch him on his foot. 
The Pharisee found that offensive, looking down on them, right? That's not the way of Jesus. It's not what he does. And so when we look at this Acts 2 and there's this table fellowship, right? Have you ever been lonely? Do you have any friends that are lonely? Have you ever felt like nobody loves you? It's not true. And the church is designed to be a place, guys, not just where we get up and and yell at people about how to be holy. The church is meant to be a place where we learn to open our homes and our tables to people that need love. That's what the church is meant to be. Because when I join God's family through that conversion experience, now my values are God's family values. And what's crazy is God's family is a lot bigger than my vision of family is on my own. God's table is much wider than my table is just on my own. I need God's values. I need Christ's values. That's part of what the conversion is all about. I'm going to walk away from this old way of thinking, and I'm going to walk into this new way of thinking. That's what it's about. In John 1, you know, there's a misnomer out there, a misconception that everybody is a child of God. Did you know that that's not true biblically? Not everybody is part of God's family. Uh, This idea that everybody, when they die, goes to heaven is is a cultural myth. It's not something that we find in Scripture. It says in John 1, He, Jesus, came into the very world He created, but the world didn't recognize Him. The Bible teaches Jesus is God who is responsible for creation. It's referenced here in John 1. If you want to look at that further, read Colossians 1, all about the supremacy of Christ. If you want a good devotional, To get your mind right about what Jesus is all about, Colossians 1 will scratch that itch. Jesus created you. You were created by Jesus and for Jesus. He came into his own people, and even they rejected him. Talking about the Jews, 12. But look at this, guys. You want to be a child of God? But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting from a human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. It's talking about your conversion. You, are, you have a, this conversion, and then you move into this family. You have this conversion, and then you are adopted as sons and daughters into God's family where your values change, right? It's this new way of living, this new experience. It says they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from a human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. He references it later in John 3, 5, the birth of the water and spirit. Again, it's a baptism reference. This is all through the New Testament. There is a line in the sand. I am now a child of God. There's a line in the sand. And you say, but it's hard to change my values. 
Here's another Old Testament prophecy about how this new family is going to work in Ezekiel. It says, I will, and this is talking about when this new family comes, okay? I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. This is talking about the new family of God and the new covenant. This is a prophecy that again, finds its fulfillment in the church. The Bible tells this beautiful story. A big part of this beautiful story is that the king is coming. The world is jacked up. The king is coming. The king is going to show us how to make it right. He's going to come and make it right. And how he's going to make it right is he's going to create a new family. A new family that is open to everyone. Whoever wants to put their faith in Jesus. Now, faith is one of those things that gets twisted up. Sometimes people think faith just means belief. If I just mentally believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, I'm good. Jesus' little brother said, even the demons believe in God and shudder. Are the demons going to heaven? What's the difference between a demon and a disciple? A demon believes in God and can quote Scripture and obeys none of it. A disciple believes in God and quotes Scripture and obeys. Not perfectly, I might add. Thank the Lord, right? But we try. We just try to be faithful. That's what faith is. Faith is four things. This isn't on your notes, but faith is belief. It's also trust. It's also uh, loyalty and it's obedience. It's those four things. It's the Greek word pistis. A better word most of the time, if it's referring to uh, salvation, is allegiance. Um, That's a good word that kind of encapsulates pistis in, in the original context, allegiance. When I'm baptized, I pledge allegiance to Jesus. 1 Peter 3.21, it's a pledge of a good conscience toward God. It's my conversion. And now I'm going to live a different way in this new family. And all of this, guys, is fulfillment, fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. It all fits together in this big story. Secondly, when I decide to follow Jesus, number two, I get to serve and be served. We call this ministry. I get to serve and be served. We say this a lot, but in the church, nobody rides the bench. What we mean by that is I used to play baseball. And in the dugout, you have a bench. If you are sitting in the dugout, you are not on the field. Unless you're waiting to bat, right? But if it's your team's turn on the field and you're sitting on the bench, you are not playing the game. And so when we say... There's no bench sitters in the church. What that means is none of you, none of you are expected by God to to give your life to him and and then do nothing with that. You're not expected to give your life to God and just kind of come and be a spectator. God wants you to get in the game. And the church is a team sport, man. You don't you don't do it on your own. Church is a team sport, and God wants you to get in the game. When you become a Christian, you, have, you need to understand, you have gifts that God has given you 
that he wants to use you to bless other people. Your faith is not just about you. Sometimes people think it's just me and God. I just need my Bible and God, you know, and I'm, I, just, I, I just need some spiritual nourishment today. It's not about you. God wants to use you. He wants you to draw near to him and be close to him, but then he wants to use you to bless other people. That's what God wants to do. And guys, with all of the people we see who are spiritual giants, like the ones who wrote the Bible, guys, where was their focus? Were they just thinking about themselves? Man, no. The ones that we hold up and say, like, these are the models to follow. All of them were thinking about others all the time. That's what consumed them. They loved God, and it's like they adopted God's heart for people where they were just consumed with blessing others. You ever notice that? Like go and take beatings to bless others? Go and and have a, a crowd drag you out of town and list her like an axe, like we read about with Paul. They hit him with rocks till they thought he was dead. And then the dude got up and went back into the city and kept telling people about Jesus. They hit him with rocks until they thought he was dead. Where was his mind at? I'll tell you, man, he thought if they kill me, I get to go be with Jesus. If they don't kill me, I'm going to go tell them about Jesus. But my life's going to be about Jesus. That was a decision of the will that Paul made, and God gave him the spirit, and Paul walked alongside God in the power of the spirit, guys, and he made an impact, right? Where was his mind at? It was on other people. It wasn't just about him, right? In verse, uh, or Acts 2, um, 44 and 45, all the believers were together, had everything in common, They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. We have a pretty loving church here, guys. I got to say, and and I commend you guys for that. When there's a need, you guys jump on it. There there has not been uh, a need that we have been made aware of that has not been addressed that I'm aware of, like materially. Um, You guys are really good. Anytime anytime we throw something out. Guys, we've, we've helped people get their cars fixed. Um, we regularly uh, help people that are down and out uh, that come asking for help. A lot of times, probably the congregation doesn't even hear uh, of all the stuff. Um, but, but we're pretty benevolent, I feel like. Uh, that's not to say we can't do more, okay? Uh, that's not to say we do, and I need to do a better job communicating. We actually have a missionary in the Philippines we support. <laughs> uh, I think I've mentioned it before, but they're like reaching a bunch of people over there. Uh, we need to start putting their updates up on a board or something. Can somebody help me with that? Like, remind me. It's not Ariel. Is Ariel in here? Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, somebody can help me with that. We need to get a board up or something. There's good things happening. And, and I, I just, I, I appreciate you guys because I feel like we, we honestly do have a kind church here. Uh, you guys, you have big hearts. There's, there's a lot of big-hearted people here. Um, but if this is a struggle for you, you know, uh, I just, I want to encourage you to think about that because Anytime we encounter something where there's un, something that's not like Jesus in our lives, you know, it, it, don't dismiss that. 
because that's something that's going to be harmful to you and other people if you don't address it. And so this is, if this is a heart struggle, like if you struggle with giving your money to people or whatever it might be, <laughs> that's a heart struggle, okay? Um, we need to be benevolent, and just like Jesus was. This, in Acts 4, uh, it says all the believers were in one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Do you see how that's connected? God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. When we feel loved and know how much God loves us and how much God has given us, it's easy to give. It just is. Uh, we love because he first loved us, is what, what John says, right? We have love to give because he gave us so much. When I sit and think about uh, all the things God has given me, it makes me generous. It makes me serving. Uh, when I forget all that God has given me, that's when I can get stingy and selfish. This is one of those things, you know, is anybody in here active in, in counting your blessings and being thankful? Do you, do you actively try to say things you're thankful for? That is such a good practice for your heart. Because uh, when you are thankful and you practice that, it helps you be a giving and generous person because when we feel give, given to, it's easy for us to give to others. But when we forget our blessings, when we forget all we've been given, it's easy to not be giving. It's, it's justified. When we feel a little squeezed, right? Um, it's important that we be praising. A side note to you guys, anytime in the Old Testament things go bad for the Israelite people, it is always preceded by grumbling, nearly. Nearly always. When things are going really good for the Israelite people, it is usually preceded by praise and worship. But when that thankfulness goes away, it, there, there's just a trajectory of life that is unhealthy. So we want to be thankful people. This is not on your notes, but you might want to make a note of Romans 12, um, 4 through 8. This is another just basic core teaching here at the crossings that we want to remind everybody of, and that's that you do have a spiritual gift of some kind. It says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is a list of spiritual gifts. There's some other lists in the New Testament. This gives you a pretty good idea, though, of all the different things. There are things that you are wired to do that I'm not wired to do. And there are people you can reach that I can't reach. And so it's super important whenever we have this conversion experience, we join this family of God, it's important to understand you have a job. You have something to do. You're not made to ride the bench and sit in the dugout. You're made to get in the game. And you have a position to play. I don't know what that position might be. It's fun to figure it out. 
Because you were wired by God in a certain way with supernatural gifts that God designed to bless other people and to bless the world. And it's really fulfilling when you figure out what that is and go do it. It's fulfilling. It's, you're going to feel like something's missing and you're not going to mature if you don't exercise your spiritual gift in the context of the church. Because that's how God made you to work. That's how God made you to function. When you function outside of God's design, that's called sin. Living righteously is living according to God's design. And when you join the church, when you engage in ministry, when you allow yourself to be served and then to serve others, you are acting in the healthy rhythm of life that God has designed you to act within. But whenever you stop or don't engage or disengage or get an attitude or whatever it might be that stops that rhythm that God has designed you to have in life, you are going to get stagnant. You are not going to grow. You might get angry and jaded. You might get depressed. You might, I don't know, it's not going to be good. You might jump into an addiction that's unhealthy. I don't know. You're going to do something that's not good. You're going to get, if you don't get into God's rhythm of life, you're going to get into the devil's rhythm of life. And when you get into the devil's rhythm of life, what happens is your heart becomes hard to God's word. Your heart becomes hard to God's word and your heart becomes hard to the words of godly people that God has put in your life to give you some direction. Sometimes you can say no to the messengers that God has given you. People that have wisdom from God that to share, but you don't want to hear it, right? And that's, that's the result of hard heart in this. Church is a dangerous place to come if you're not applying God's word to your life. Because you will get used to not applying God's word to your life. It would be better for you to just not be here than to come in here and actively harden your heart towards God's word. Because you're putting yourself in a dangerous position. You can get comfortable not listening. And that is a dangerous position. You know that parable of the sower that Jesus told? You know the different soils? You got the, the soil represented by the path where the birds just come in and swoop. It's like they never even heard it. Those are people that don't want to hear it to begin with. They're not going to listen to begin with. Then you got the, the soil represented by the rocky soil, right? They, the, they throw the seed on the rocky soil. It springs up quickly, but then the sun scorches it. That represents somebody whose heart is uh, somebody who gives their life to Christ, but as soon as it gets hard, they run away. You know, uh, that happens. The third one is the one that I'm scared of. And that's the soil that's represented by the, the, the vines where the, the seed is thrown. And, you know, it's not that the, the plant doesn't sprout. What the text says there is the, plow, the plant sprouts and it doesn't mature. It sprouts and it doesn't mature because life's worries, riches, and pleasures choke it out. And like in my mind, that's like somebody that keeps coming to church but hardens their heart against the word. But they still come to church. And they still pray sometimes. And they still are religious. You know, they have a veneer, but there's no growth. There's no maturing. Guys, that is so scary because that's like that lukewarm 
Christian, you know, Jesus has some words about lukewarm stuff in, in Revelation 3, doesn't he? He says, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. You're not saved. Like, and I, I don't make that decision, by the way. I don't, as a human being, and none of us stand up here and say who's lost and who's saved, but God does in his word. And it's up to us to look at his word and use our God-given discernment to apply his word. He didn't give us his word to be confused by it. You guys realize that, right? Like there's some confusing stuff in there, but most of it's not very confusing. It's pretty simple. Like Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I say. Wow, why do we make that so complicated? It's like, do I really need to obey what Jesus says? Isn't that works-based salvation? That's works-based salvation. We don't really need to obey. Here's what you need to obey. Here's how we can tiptoe up to the line and just kind of, that's how much I need to obey, okay? That's so stupid. I'm sorry, but that is so foolish to think that way. It's really simple. When I obey God, guys, I'm going to engage in ministry and I'm going to try to be like Jesus. That's part of it. Thirdly, when I decide to follow Jesus, thirdly, I adopt Jesus's mission to bless the world. When I decide to follow Jesus, I adopt Jesus's mission to bless the world. It says in 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, the Lord added their number daily those who are being saved. That's what it says. That is so cool. Did you guys know this past year we had daily conversions a couple of weeks? Did you guys know that? Between, we have, we're a church plant. Uh, we started this one um, in 2017. We're going to be planting another one this year, I think. Is it this year? Is it this year? I think it is. By the end of this year, we're going to plant another church somewhere. Uh, with our friends. That'll be our fifth one. And so um, I meet on Wednesdays with our leaders, me and Jake. Jake's the college minister here. Uh, we go and meet with our other leaders, uh, and we, we uh, talk about how things are going. And between our four congregations this past year, we had several weeks where we had daily conversions. And these are all churches that we work together to start here in the St. Louis area. And so it was really exciting. You know, and some, some Sundays we'd come up here and we'd have three or four that we had here in Collinsville that past week. That is so cool, isn't it? And, and so when I say we have some excited people at the retreat over the river, we have some excited people at the retreat over the river. A lot of them are new Christians. That's why they're not here today. They're over there. And good things are happening. And guys, to me, I get excited about that because I know what it feels like to be lost. And a lot of you do too. Like, you know, you grew up in, in bad situations, a lot of you. And you're first generation, you're a first generation Christian. Like, you didn't grow up hearing the Bible stories. You don't know all the rules. Like, you come into church uh, and we have to tell you stuff sometimes that you don't know and it's hilarious, right? I love that. I love that. And you guys are so fun to work with. Like, because you're just learning stuff for the first time. And I, I just, I get so much fulfillment seeing the light bulbs go off for people. It just makes me happy because I know their lives are going to be blessed because of it, right? And a lot of you feel that same way. 
It's exciting. And that's what God's family is supposed to be about. Because the cool thing when you join God's family is the doors open, man. And I'm telling you, when you get in here and you start seeing God use you to make a difference in the lives of others, God has designed you to to be happy about that. They have a party in heaven every time somebody comes to Christ. We have a party down here too. And we get to have parties a lot, right? I want to have more, don't you? And I think we will. And it's exciting to see that. It's really exciting to see that. But we're carrying on this tradition that began in Acts 2, but guys, it was prophesied in Genesis. Did you know this? This was prophesied in Genesis, all the way back to the beginning. God made this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth, what? Will be blessed through you. He's talking about your descendants. Did you know in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when Peter is going out and preaching, he's connecting our story, the story of King Jesus, all the way back to this promise to Abraham. The Apostle Paul says, all of those who are baptized into Christ have clothed themselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, Male nor female, for all of you who have been baptized into Christ are heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the Abrahamic covenant promise. That's what he's referring back to. We're children of Abraham. That's how he describes us in in Galatians and and in, in Romans. We are the children of Abraham. He had to remind people that didn't like the Gentiles that. God grafted them in, right? Grafted them in. That's good news for us, by the way. Um, as non-Jews. It was always his plan to bless the world through the seed of Abraham. And some of you didn't know you are part of the seed of Abraham, but guys, when you join God's family, you join God's family, you join this covenant that he carries through the whole Bible. Guys, this is part of the story that God has grafted you into. It says in Isaiah, this is again, 600 years before Jesus, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach what? The ends of the earth. He's talking about what he's going to do with his people. The church. This is a prophecy given to the Jews, fulfilled in the church. If you follow out the story of Scripture, I'm going to make you, plural, group, a light for the Gentiles. Why? That my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Who in here knows the Great Commission? We might have mentioned it a time or two. Right? Another life verse for us. This hanging on my wall. You come over to my house. If you had not been to my house yet, you probably will be. I like to barbecue, so you guys give me excuses to barbecue. There's a, the Great Commission is hanging over my front door. Like every time I walk out, I look up, there's that great commission. That was a wedding, or not a wedding gift. It was a birthday gift that I bought for Ariel before our wedding. And our marriage has always kind of been based on that great commission. Like we, we see ourselves as a team. We're going to go out there and we're going to make disciples. Pretty good basis for a marriage, by the way. 
Uh, I love this. But guys, this was always God's will. Jesus didn't just come up with something new when he came and gave that great commission to his disciples. He's fulfilling the plan that God always had, which was, I will, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to send Jesus through your seed. Jesus is going to die for the sins of the whole world. He's going to ascend to be the king of everything, who's going to make everything right. And the good news is not just that my sins get forgiven. Guys, the good news of Jesus is that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to right every wrong someday. And this world that's jacked up right now, this is not going to last forever. This is a temporary problem. And Jesus is the permanent solution. And guys, when we bow our knee to him and we submit to him, we give our lives to him, we surrender to him, we are adopted into his family, we adopt new values, we get a mission, we get a purpose. My life is no longer just about me. Now I'm part of this family that God desires to use to take his salvation to the ends of the earth. You guys realize some of you in here are going to go on church plants, more than likely. Some of you guys in here are going to learn to lead your families to Christ. Some of you in here are going to be youth ministers. Some of you might be preachers. Some of you may be missionaries. Guys, there is no end to kingdom business and kingdom work that needs to be done. We are starting a rehab here. I'm actively looking at houses around to buy so we can house women that are trying to get off drugs. Why? Because we want to help them get off drugs and teach them to follow Jesus because that's how they're going to have the best life they can have. Like, there's no end to that kind of stuff that needs to be done. And we get to serve. We get to be part of this story of God. We get to engage in these ministries we get to love one another. We get to open our houses. We get to, get to, get to. And when we get to the end, we get to go be with Jesus. Amen? That's a good life. And where there's trouble along the way, we got a family. When I have bad days, we got a family. You know, we're going to be okay. If death comes for me, Jesus beat it, right? When I die in Christ, man, it's sad, but I'm not dead, right? That's, that's good news. We get to be part of all this. And guys, Acts starts out like this, Acts 1.8. He says, uh, Jesus says, the, the disciples are saying, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? We've been waiting a while. We're kind of tired of this. They thought he was going to be a military ruler like everybody else. Right? Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, that's the words of Jesus. He's telling the disciples, this is what you're going to do. This is the theme verse of the book of Acts, by the way, Acts 1.8. This serves as an outline for the book itself. And if you study the book of Acts, God does something crazy in Jerusalem when he sends the Holy Spirit and fire, that's in fulfillment of uh, the prophecies that John the Baptist made, if you study the Gospels. Um, sends the Holy Spirit and fire, does something odd, right? Something that is attention-getting. Why? Because the Gospel has come to Jerusalem. All these prophecies from the Old Testament about what's going to happen in Jerusalem, how Jerusalem's going to be raised up and the Word of God's going to go out from Jerusalem, 
All that happens in Jerusalem in Acts 2. Okay, it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. When you get down to Acts 8, you see the gospel go to Judea and Samaria. Again, you see the Holy Spirit do some out-of-the-ordinary things. Why? Because the gospel's going to Judea and Samaria. Anybody in here know why that was a big deal? Jews weren't supposed to talk to them people in Judea and Samaria. They weren't supposed to. Why? Because they had another religion. If you go study the Old Testament, back in the days of Jeroboam and the kings, there was a war between the south and the north. The kingdom of Jerusalem's in the south. That's where the temple was. All of the Mosaic law, if you followed the law of Moses, you had to go to that temple to, to perform those sacrifices. Well, because of that civil war, Jeroboam's up in the north, right? The, the other kings down in the south, Jeroboam didn't want his people going to the temple anymore because it was a political threat for him. Because what if he went down to the temple and then the southern king came and rallied his own people against him? And so what he did to solve his problem, because he wasn't thinking about God, he was thinking about himself, is he set up high places on mountains all over the north that, from what we can tell, we ain't got no kids in here, they were the shapes of penises, phallic symbols, and the way to worship this new God was to go have sex with women around them. Now that sounded good to the man back then, okay? Hey, we got a new religion. Instead of going down there and making those sacrifices, we're going to get some prostitutes. You need to go up here on this hill and have sex with them. That sounded good to a lot of those guys. And that's exactly what they did. And guess what God did? God looked down and said, nope. Nope. That ain't okay. And that led to all kinds of bad stuff. It led to the exile. Uh, in Old Testament history. It led to a lot of bad stuff. And they did a lot of other stuff too. Guys, there was sick stuff that they did in idol worship. There was self-mutilation. A lot of times when you guys read the Bible and you're like, why is idol worship so bad? It doesn't seem that bad. Go bow down to a statue. No, man, they were raping women. They were sacrificing babies. They were cutting themselves. They were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. That's like black magic stuff, okay? Real bad stuff. That's idolatry. And that's what they were doing. They were spitting in the face of God. That's why it's detestable to God. The stuff they were doing is evil. So, guess who the Jews didn't want to go mess around with? Judea and Samaria. Matter of fact, some would say they probably hated them more than they hated the Gentiles because they were half Jew. Because they still took some of Moses and put it into that mess. They took some of the Old Testament and mixed it with that mess. Whenever Jesus comes to that Samaritan woman in John 4, you guys remember that? You read John 4, he goes to that Samaritan woman and he says, hey, can you get me a drink? And she said, what do you mean can I get you a drink? In the original language, Jews don't share dishes with Samaritans. You weren't allowed to touch it. If a Samaritan touched the dish, you weren't allowed to touch the dish. That's how unclean they were. Not only that, he talked to her. You weren't supposed to talk to a woman. He's breaking all kinds of rules, right? But all that is a prequel for what's coming. Jesus called that woman out in her immorality in John 4. And then she turned around and brought the whole town out to, to listen to him talk. What if it was this town that they went to later? Wouldn't that be funny? If that's where this stuff happened in Acts, I wouldn't be surprised if it was some of the same people. But I don't know. That's just speculation, okay? Um, my point is, God was doing something different and new 
And so because God was doing something different and new, we see some odd acts of the Holy Spirit in Acts 8. That's not typical. And it's because God was giving credibility to the fact that he was doing something new. It says, um, you receive power of my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The other time we see the Holy Spirit doing something odd in Acts is Acts 10. And that's the first time uh, the gospel is brought to the Gentiles. And that's, that's to Cornelius and his household. God has to give Peter a vision that it's okay for him to go share a table with this Gentile. And Peter still doesn't want to do it. And he has to also give the Gentile a vision. And like he brings them, God brings them together (coughs) supernaturally. And then God pours the Holy Spirit out on them while they're together. And that is what leads to Peter saying, "Who who can refuse these Gentiles baptism since God's poured the Holy Spirit out on them? Let's just get it done. And we see the first Gentile conversion. And guys, after that, God calls this guy named Paul and gives him the specific mission to go to the Gentiles because it was always God's plan through the church to bless the whole world. We inherit that tradition and that ministry. And that's exciting, guys. We're 2,000 years into this thing. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. But it could be any time, and, and we need to live like it. And guys, there are people around us that are hurting, that are lost, and we've got hope to give them. We need to live like it. We need to lean into God. Man, one of the things I really want to see from you guys this year is, is your individual relationships getting deeper with Jesus Christ, where you're spending individual times talking to him and praying to him. And man, Jesus got up early in the morning before it was while it was still dark outside and would go spend time in prayer. And I would just love to see if we can become more and more disciplined just in our personal walks. Because I think, man, there's something about that personal relationship that is so, so important. And guys, a relationship just takes work, okay? And again, I throw that work word out there. Some of you guys from the Baptist church, y'all are like, man, it works. Okay, uh, work, any relationship is work right? It's work. You got a marriage, it's work. Your relationship with God is work. You need to put some time into it. That's how you have a healthy relationship is you put some time into it. I want to encourage you to invite some accountability into your life. If you haven't joined a small group, uh, our whole church is based on small groups here. And when I read the Bible, I see uh, I see a model for ministry in there, especially in the book of Acts. A lot of the early movements of uh, the disciples were house to house. That's how the gospel spread in the first century was house to house more than it was uh, big group meetings. Now they did temple courts, you know, so our model for church here, temple courts, that's kind of like this. But then we have around the table in houses. We want to break down into smaller groups. The reason we do that is we don't want anybody to come into our assembly and not get attention. We want every single one of you here to know you're important. You, as an individual, you are important. We want every single person to dive into Scripture and, and to say, hey, what, what's, up? what's up with my relationship with God? Am I connected to God? Is it healthy? We want every single person to be known. 
And, and we want every single person to have an opportunity to serve. We do that through small groups because we get in a living room with, with you know, eight to 12 people. It's a lot easier to get to know people. It's a lot easier to get to know somebody's story. It's a lot easier to meet individual needs. Uh, we also break down in, for our members into discipleship groups, men and women. Men meet with men, women meet with women in small groups. We do that for accountability. If I'm struggling with something, the guys in my discipleship group know what I'm struggling with. I talk about it. And they talk about it. And that's where if, if there's something we're struggling with, we can talk and, and just do a weekly checkup. Like, how are things going? And, and that's how you get past a lot of the garbage in your life. Like, I struggled with an addiction to porn for years. I didn't get over it until I started talking about it with some friends. And I knew every week I'm going to get together and they're going to ask me how I'm doing with this and I'm going to have a decision. I'm either going to be honest or I'm not. And I'm going to be honest. <laughs> and I got over that mess. And that's how a lot of us get through. Um, but we got to put some effort into some of these things. You know, we got to make it a priority. We have to harp on this here, honestly, because we're Americans. If, if I were a minister or a pastor in Africa, I wouldn't have to tell you guys you need to attend small group. I wouldn't have to because they'd be there. I would have to tell them they need to quit being hypocrites and be holy because that's more their struggle down there, okay? Here, it's, uh, we, we are so individualistic in our culture. Like our whole society is based on independence and I'm gonna do what I want and nobody can tell me what I do. It's my right right? We don't value community in a way. So I have to do extra teaching on this just because the culture is teaching us lies about community, that it's not important. The culture we live in in the United States, this is one of the loneliest countries in the world. Guys, Gallup has done polls on it. People go home, they put their earbuds on, they pop their cell phone on, turn Netflix on, they, they are to themselves. We're the loneliest, one of the loneliest countries in the world because people don't understand the value of community. We're gonna harp on that here, and that's because I have to, okay? I have to. It's important. I wanna encourage you, if you're not part of a small group, to join a small group. If you haven't joined the church here, guys, we're gonna study the Bible with you. If you wanna join the church, we study the Bible with everybody. If you wanna become a Christian, guys, if you have questions about God, uh, we wanna study the Bible with you. We wanna make sure you're okay with the Lord. We want to teach you how to be okay with the Lord. Did you know you can know that you're saved? You don't have to wonder. You can know that you're saved. Some of the things that uh, God teaches us is all about that. He wants you to have assurance, and he wants you to know. Because when you know you're saved, when you know you're forgiven, you walk through life a little bit differently, don't you? And you have this hope giving for people. And so God wants you to have that. I don't know what your needs might be today. Um, but I know we want to help you meet them. Acts started out like we just read in, in 8. It ends like this. For two whole years, this is all the way to the end, right? Acts 28. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Here's the last verse. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What a beautiful end to this book. And guys, we get to continue this tradition. 
What it doesn't tell you is because Paul taught boldly without hindrance, they chopped his head off in an arena. <laughs> That's not how the book ends, okay? That's how his life ended. But I guarantee you, when Paul got to heaven, he heard, well done, my good and faithful servant. And Paul did not say, send me back. <laughs> well done, my good and faithful servant. We get to see Paul again. And we get to carry on this tradition that Paul gave us. Guys, I just, I, I pray we do this zealously and faithfully. That's all that I want. All I want when I get to the end of my life, I don't know about you, but when I get to the end of my life, I just want to look back and have a trail of people behind me that get to go be with Jesus too. That's all I want. And all I want is to stand before my Lord and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I want to bring my friends with me. And I want our church to be like that too because I, I really feel like that honors God. And so if that resonates with you, if you're here today maybe for the first time, uh, we'd love to invite you on that journey. Um, we didn't come up with this stuff. We're just continuing it. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, I'm going to pray in a moment, and then our worship team's going to come up. Uh, you've got some cards in your bulletin. If uh, you guys don't mind, there's a cardstock piece of paper. Please pull that out, members and guests alike. Uh, we ask everybody to fill that out if there's prayer needs or whatever. Uh, if you're wanting a Bible study, like if you want to talk with someone about a relationship with God, we love doing that. And I want you to know that can be intimidating. Like that sounds very formal. What that consists of is you sitting at a table uh, or going to get coffee with somebody and just opening up a Bible and looking at a scripture and saying, what, what do you think about this? Uh, and how does this apply to my life, right? Pretty uh, non-threatening when you think of it that way. It's not like a classroom. It's, it's, you're getting together with a couple of friends to talk. Uh, if you are interested in small groups, um, indicate that on your card. Uh, we have groups for adults. We have groups for college students. We have groups for teens. Uh, we have quite a few of them, and we would love to get you plugged in. That's how you can really uh, get to know people, and that's how people can get to know you. Uh, and so we would love for you to check that out. Um, we do require that for membership even. Like, and again, the reason we have to say that over and over is because if we don't, people will not take it seriously. And it's honestly just a fundamental part of the DNA of the healthy church as we read about it in the New Testament. So that's why we do that. It's more of a cultural thing. Uh, if there are any other needs you might have, you can look on that card. I won't read off everything. Uh, we are starting a wounded heart class for women uh, very soon. Is that this week? In a couple of weeks? Okay. Uh, Ayana, do you mind raising your hand? Uh, Ayana is our teacher for this class, okay? Wounded Heart is a, is a class for uh, victims of childhood sexual abuse. I am a victim of childhood sexual abuse. Uh, I also have helped teach uh, the classes for men. Uh, that's one of those things that if that has occurred to you, you don't probably even fathom all the, all the damage that that can do to your heart. And the Bible honestly has a lot to say about how we deal with trauma. And so we have a class here called Wounded Heart where we help people walk through some material that is all biblically grounded. Uh, and we have a support group that just helps you deal with, you know, some, some horrible things. That's one of those things that you can find a semblance of healing from. Uh, and, and I've been helped personally 
greatly by that. It really, really helped me a lot. So if that's a struggle, you could indicate that on your card. Uh, you can also come and talk with Ayana. Uh, those cards are confidential. We do not share any of this stuff you put on there with anybody, okay? Just so you know. So if you've got some prayer need or something, we're not going to put your business out uh, for everybody to see. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song that will give you time to fill the card out. Then we'll sing one more song and pass some baskets, and you can drop your card in the basket when it goes by, and we'll get somebody to follow up with you, okay? Uh, thank you guys for your attention today. I hope we'll see you back next week. We will have a much larger crowd, um, and it, it's going to be fun. Whether it's big or small, we always have a good time here. So thank you guys for coming. Let me pray. Uh, God, I want to thank you for... Uh, Thank you for your plan that is fulfilled, God, through the church. I am so privileged that we get to be part of your family. We get to be part of your mission and part of your purpose. Uh, God, if we're struggling today, I pray we can get the help that we need. If we are thinking, I should fill this card out, but I don't want to. God, if it's something that's going to honor you and bless somebody, I just pray you prompt them to go ahead and do that. Um, get the help that, that you need. Uh, Lord, we love you, and it's in your, your name we pray. Amen.